Chapter Four of the Sheraton Road Mystery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Sheraton Road Mystery by Paul and Mabel Thorne. Chapter Four: The Apartment Across the Hall. After replacing the padlock and snapping it closed, Morgan pressed the electric button of the apartment across the hall. Footsteps sounded in immediate response, and the next moment the door was furtively opened. Morgan, who by that time was leaning carelessly against the jam, quietly moved one foot forward into the opening. Although the light in the hallway was dim, he could see that the woman who stood there was young and remarkably pretty. Removing his hat, he asked politely, "'Are you the tenant here?' "'Yes,' came a soft but nervous voice. "'May I come in and talk with you a few minutes?' inquired Morgan. "'What is it you want?' the girl inquired. Morgan threw back his coat and disclosed his badge. "'I am a city detective, and I would like a few words with you about this affair across the hall.' "'What affair is that?' asked the girl. Morgan smiled. "'Didn't you know there was some trouble across the hall last night?' "'No,' she returned. "'I retired early, and have heard nothing about it.' Morgan was at a loss for a moment. The girl was not of the type that one would associate with persons of a criminal sort. Her replies had been given in a tone of voice so candid and wondering that it hardly seemed possible she could be acting. Whatever the situation, however, Morgan wanted to get inside this apartment and study the girl more closely. "'Well, I'll tell you all about it,' he said gently, "'if you'll let me come in for a moment or two.' "'I know nothing about it,' she maintained, with a touch of irritation in her voice, and Morgan's foot signaled to him that she was attempting to close the door. Morgan never liked to be rough in his methods. He hesitated over forcing himself into the presence of this young woman, and yet he now had an impression that an interview with her was imperative. There was a slight pause, as he ran over in his mind some way to gain his entrance without force. "'Do you know Mr. Marsh downstairs?' he inquired suddenly, with his eyes keeping a keen watch on her face. "'I do not know any of the tenants in the building.' "'That's strange,' said Morgan thoughtfully. "'I was just talking with Mr. Marsh, and he told me that you knew all about the trouble last night. He suggested that if I would come and see you, I could get just the information I wanted.' "'I don't know this, Mr. Marsh, and I can't understand why he should make such a statement.' Surprise was apparent in her voice. Morgan was quite sure that her surprise was genuine. At the same time his remarks had just the effect he had hoped they would. It brought a new element into the matter, and added to the girl's natural curiosity. She opened the door wider, and nodding toward the front room, said, "'Step in and tell me what you wish to know.' The room into which Morgan entered was a counterpart of the one across the hall, though as he rapidly observed the furnishings, he was impressed with the greater taste displayed and the homelike atmosphere. A piece of embroidery, on which she had evidently been working, lay on the arm of a chair near the window. Conjecturing that she would resume her seat in this chair, Morgan seated himself where he could keep his back to the window, while the girl whom he was about to question would directly face the full light. Morgan's guess was correct. The girl went directly to the chair she had left to answer his ring, and taking up her embroidery, picked nervously at its edges, meanwhile watching Morgan expectantly. Surmising that a direct attempt to question her at once might defeat his purpose, Morgan immediately broke into an account of the previous night's occurrence. As he brought out the various details of what was reported to have taken place, he slyly watched her face. At the end of his recital he felt convinced that what he told the girl had previously been unknown to her. Moreover, Morgan became sensible of a growing feeling of interest and confidence in the girl. Her sweetness seemed so genuine, her dark blue eyes so frank and honest in the straightforward way they met his. 
"'It seems very strange that I heard none of the excitement,' remarked the girl, when Morgan had finished his story. "'I had rather a busy day yesterday with my studies, and retired early.' Morgan decided upon his line of questioning, while relating the incidents of the night before. "'May I ask your name?' "'Certainly,' she replied. "'My name is Atwood.' Morgan, having noticed the absence of a wedding ring, assumed that she was unmarried. Therefore, he said, "'Is your mother at home, Miss Atwood?' A shade of sadness passed over her face. "'My mother died some months ago,' she replied. "'I am sorry. I know what it is to have a good mother,' sympathized Morgan. Then he inquired, "'Perhaps your father heard the disturbance?' "'Oh, no,' she replied. "'My father is away.' "'He travels?' "'Yes, my father is a salesman.' "'For some Chicago house, I suppose?' "'No, for a business house in St. Louis. We formerly lived there.' "'St. Louis is a pleasant city,' commented Morgan. "'Still, many people prefer Chicago.' "'Oh, I think I should prefer to live in St. Louis, because I have a few friends there,' she said. "'But I am studying music, and when my mother died, father suggested that I live in Chicago, where I could attend a better musical college. Then, too, father could get home more often, as he travels in this vicinity.' "'I suppose your father travels for some well-known St. Louis house?' suggested Morgan." "'Well, really, I don't know the name of his firm,' returned the girl. "'Business has never held any interest for me.' It struck Morgan as strange that even a girl who did not take an interest in business should be ignorant of the name of the firm by whom her father was employed, yet he seemed to find many things that were contradictory in this girl. The chatty line of conversation he had taken was bringing out information in a manner highly satisfactory to Morgan. He was about to make another comment that might elicit further facts, when he was interrupted by a question which he had been expecting. "'Tell me,' inquired Miss Atwood, a slight color coming to her cheeks, "'what this man, Marsh, said about me.' Morgan was pleased. This gave him an opening for some questioning, which he had hesitated to take up before. He wanted to know just how much this girl knew about Marsh. "'Don't you really know Mr. Marsh?' he began. "'No,' she replied. "'I didn't even know there was such a person in the house.' "'Well, that is certainly strange. I am sure that he told me to talk to the young lady on the top floor. Perhaps he meant some young lady who lived across the hall. Still, there doesn't seem to have been anyone there since the trouble.' Miss Atwood smiled. "'He could not have met anyone in that apartment, for I understand it is occupied only by an elderly couple, a Mr. Ames and his wife. I understood father to say that he had heard they were travelling in Europe. I am sure no one has lived there since we have been in this apartment.' "'How long have you been here?' asked Morgan. "'Let me see,' said Miss Atwood thoughtfully. "'This is about the end of October, and we have been here since the middle of July. That is a little over three months, isn't it?' "'July,' repeated Morgan. "'That isn't a renting season. You must rent this apartment furnished.' "'We do,' she replied promptly. "'Father was too busy to spend any time on moving, so we stored our things in St. Louis and took this apartment.' "'Real estate agents have been making lots of money these days.' I hear a great many people have to pay them a bonus for finding apartments. I suppose they stuck you that way, too? No, returned the girl. I understand that father rented direct from the tenant. I believe the tenant was a friend of his, or someone he knew in a business way. The embroidery which had been lying in Miss Atwood's lap had gradually slipped forward, and at this moment dropped to the floor. As she reached down to pick it up, Morgan's alert eyes noted a purplish mark on her forearm. You seem to have bruised your arm, Miss Atwood, he said in a tone that was intended to express sympathy. "'Oh, did you notice that, Mark?' she exclaimed. "'That has been puzzling me all day. 
I awoke suddenly last night with a feeling as if something had bitten me, but almost immediately went to sleep again. During the morning I noticed this mark and the swelling. I can't imagine what could have done it. "'May I look at it?' asked Morgan, as he rose and approached her. "'Perhaps I can suggest something.' She extended her arm, and Morgan, taking her hand, drew the arm close to him. He carefully studied the spot. The only time he had ever seen such marks before was on the arms of drug addicts, who had not been particularly careful in the application of the hypodermic needle. "'So you think this is a bite of some kind?' asked Morgan, looking keenly at her. "'I can't imagine what else it could be,' she replied. Morgan dropped her hand and looked out of the window for a moment. There was no doubt in his mind that the mark had been made by a hypodermic needle, yet it was the only mark of the kind that he could see on her arm, and therefore would hardly seem to indicate that the girl was a drug fiend. Moreover, there had been no indication of embarrassment or nervousness in her reference to the mark, as would undoubtedly have been the case had she been addicted to the use of a drug. Morgan realized, too, that the fresh pink and white skin of this girl, and the bright eyes, could not be maintained if drugs were taken. The case was growing more puzzling every minute. Had the use of a hypodermic needle on this girl anything to do with the supposed tragedy across the hall? After this discovery, Morgan hesitated to ask further questions at this time, so he turned to the girl again and remarked simply, "'It is possible that some kind of spider bit you in the night. If you have any peroxide in the house, I would suggest that you bathe the spot with it. And now I must be going. If I have your permission, Miss Atwood, I would like to drop in again some time, to let you know about any further discoveries I may make on this case.' "'Thank you,' she returned. "'I shall be interested.' As he turned to say good-bye at the door, she added apologetically, "'I am sorry I had no information to give you.' "'Oh, that's all right,' Morgan assured her. "'I appreciate your courtesy in letting me have this little chat with you.' But as he drew the door to after him, Morgan smiled and said to himself, "'Poor little girl, you don't realize what a lot of information you have given me.'" End of chapter 4